to the worst bestsellers, where we've read about Renata's nemesis so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Stories I Only Tell My Friends by Rob Lowe. Joining us to discuss this literal celebrity memoir is Steve, IT analyst and fellow nemesis of Rob Lowe. Hi, Steve. Hello. Welcome to this podcast that was brought to you by RobLowCan'tRead.com. I feel like it's important that we start off this nemesis month that we are having by uh, explaining why these particular people are our nemeses. And uh, Renata has a really good story about Rob- why Rob Lowe is her nemesis. <laughs> yeah, I do. Is that, an award-winning story. I have an award-winning story about why Rob Lowe is my nemesis. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, we've decided for March will be our nemesis month and we'll read one book each by our respective nemeses. And we've started with my nemesis, Rob Lowe, and I will set the scene by saying that, uh, Steve and I, we were both big fans of the West Wing and big fans of Rob Lowe in particular and his character, Sam Seaborn on the West Wing. And my junior year of college, I studied abroad in London, and Rob Lowe was doing the play of, oh God, what's it called? A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. men. I was going to say he was doing the play version of You Can't Handle the Truth, and I was like, that's not what it's called. (laughs) Uh, He did that. And Steve was visiting me, and so we went to go see this play, and we were so excited to see Rob Lowe in person. And afterwards, we went out to the stage door, and he was, which if you're not a theater person, you know, the the actors will come out of the stage door after the show, and usually they'll kind of sign things for you, take pictures, like whatever. Um, Occasionally, if people are super famous or whatever, they won't do it, but usually they will. And so Rob Lowe came out, and everybody was so excited, and there was a crowd of maybe, like, I don't know, like... 10, 12 people? Oh, I was going to say like 20. Not a huge crowd, but like a, a decent sized crowd. And, you know, Rob Lowe was signing stuff for them, taking pictures, like seemed we were observing many pleasant interactions and people kind of kept pushing past us, but we were being patient and non-aggressive. And so he signed stuff for everybody. And Steve and I are the last two people standing at the stage door and he like looks at us and nods and then gets in his car and leaves. And I, I totally get it. You know, you're tired after the end of your show. You just want to go home, like, whatever. But it's not like there were 50 people, right? And he was like, oh, I just can't do any. There were two people left. And he was like, nope, this is where I draw the line, at these two people. Goodbye to you. So, obviously, we felt very aggrieved by that. And we decided we were going to get some revenge on Rob Lowe. And we kind of thought about how we should do that. And what we decided was that we are going to start spreading a rumor that Rob Lowe is illiterate. And that rumor is actually, like, now I've told this story incorrectly. And I'll, I'll link to a video on the show notes of where I did tell this story correctly at a moth story slam. And as previously mentioned, it won. But uh, it's, it's pretty easy, actually, to convince people that Rob Lowe is illiterate even though he's written two books, because nobody really thinks that celebrities write their own books anyway. So if you're just like, yeah, he just never learned how to read, and so he has to get, like, audio notes for things, and, like, his assistant helps him out. Like, people believe it. It's really easy. (laughs) 
And then, uh, especially aided by the fact that for my birthday that year, Steve uh, purchased the domain roblocantread.com, <laughs> which is still up and running on the internet. Not not a lot of content. We should really develop it a little further. <laughs> Have not quite gotten around to that in the last 10 years. <laughs> but we will one day. And I've also, so sometimes I, like, joke about how Rob is my nemesis, and people are like, oh, because of, because he had sex with an underage girl, or, like, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I mean, that was, that was bad, too, I guess. <laughs> 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 the, like, whatever happened with his nanny, probably also bad. I don't, but mainly, he personally slighted me. <laughs> so... That's why Rob is my nemesis, and that's how I know that he can't read, which he can't. <laughs> and I don't know, Steve, did you have anything else you want to add about our, our rivalry with Rob Lowe? I don't think so. <laughs> I think you summed it up pretty well right there. Thank you. I will also add, so after I told the story at the Moth, like a while later, somebody came up to me at the gym and was like, Oh, I like you told the story about Rob Lowe at the moth, right? And I was like, Yeah. And she's like, Oh, it's great. I've been telling people that he can't read. <laughs> and I was like, This is the best this is the peak level of celebrity that I personally want, where like strangers <laughs> at the gym tell me that they are telling people slander about Rob Lowe. <laughs> I want nothing more in this life. <laughs> uh, and, and it's not slander if it's your own personal opinion, which it is. <laughs> My personal opinion is that I I really don't think that Rob Lowe can read. <laughs> I mean, we have no proof that he can read. <laughs> <laughs> just an opinion. Right. <laughs> We're just saying. <laughs> From what we've observed of Rob Lowe, doesn't seem like he can read. <laughs> One of the best things, though, is sometimes I use Rob Lowe can't read as an alias online. So if you're on PlayStation or, what, or whatever, you see Rob Lowe can't read. That may be me. Um, <laughs> some of the best things, best reactions that I've gotten out of that have been with people reading that and like they're in the voice chat on PlayStation 4. Rob Lowe can't read. Is that true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's our setup about why Rob Lowe, and I guess we can transition into this book, which I'll start by saying this has been, like, very well-regarded. People have really liked this book. It's made some, like, best-of lists, although I think they were, like, a best-of celebrity memoir, which is, like, a really low bar. And I think this book, I had kind of, I guess, mixed expectations because I had heard pretty good things about it, but then also I knew that Rob Lowe couldn't actually read or write so i don't know <laughs> and i i think basically this book is like fine it's like competently written he's got so many crazy stories i think that's really what people including myself liked about this book it's just like wait what what happened okay and yeah and there not only is it competently written but he has all these crazy stories and he or his ghostwriter or whoever are so good at pacing them that like I read the whole book very quickly because every time you start to be like okay like whatever like backstage antics whatever and then he'll throw another like random curveball crazy celebrity story in to hook you again and he, they're just so perfectly paced throughout the book. Mm -hmm. 
And okay, I've I've made this analogy to a few people since I read this book, and no one has understood it. But I feel like it's a good analogy, so I'm going to try to explain the backstory, <laughs> which is I think this book shows that Rob Lowe is just like a hot Paul Harvey, and. The reason that I say that is because when I was a kid, my school bus driver made us listen to Paul Harvey's talk radio show, which is called The Rest of the Story. And I think I'm just basically, we're all like way too young to listen to Paul Harvey. I think it's sort of like quintessentially was a really old person radio show. And I think I shared that same experience too with my father every way on the way to school. (laughs) Oh, good. Steve, I'm glad you know who Paul Harvey is, because hardly, like, everyone else I've told this to is like, I don't even know, like, who that is. He's dead now. But he had this radio show <laughs> called The Rest of the Story, and it was just sort of like a folksy, like, This American Life kind of thing. But he would always tell these stories, and they would always be, like, a sort of, somebody overcoming something, and then at the end, it would turn out that that was, like, a celebrity or something, and then he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. So, you know, it'd be like about like on that little boy who got an F in art class. Well, he grew up to be Charles Schultz, creator of peanuts. And now, you know, the rest of the story. And that was every chapter of this book. It was just like, and my neighbor turned out to be Martin Sheen, president on the West Wing. Now, you know, the rest of the story. And it was just, like, every chapter, and every chapter would be, like, a huge celebrity who just, like, happened to be at the airport or happened to be, like, his classmate. And it is crazy. Yeah, like, Carrie Grant is his high school almost girlfriend's father. Yep. And, like, he goes over to her house and Carrie Grant opens the door and he's like, oh. <laughs> and then gives him soap. <laughs> soap on the rope, Yeah. And one of the best things about this book has been the audiobook read by Rob Lowe. Yes. Who, while narrating the story, is doing his impressions of everyone. It's amazing. <laughs> I So I read this in the print format, and then I was tweeting about it. And then friend of the show, Dame Sophie, was like, oh, you got to listen to the audiobook. And I was like, oh, I'll see if I can get it. And she was like, I can send it to you. And she she lent it to me on Audible. And so I listened to just sort of like random chunks of it because I'd already read the whole book and I didn't want to like re-listen to it. But it's true. His celebrity impressions are really funny. So if you were going to... Uh, read this book. I would suggest the audiobook if you're interested. And then just fast forward to the Christopher Walken part. Oh my god. (laughs) Christopher Walken (laughs) is so good. And granted, Christopher Walken, like, that's kind of a gimme. Like, anybody's Christopher Walken impression is funny whether or not you're good at it. But he's pretty good at it. (laughs) So, yeah, like, the plot of this book is just Rob Lowe's life, and it starts pretty young in childhood when his family, he's Grew up in Ohio for a short period of time, and then when he was like, I don't know, like twelve or something, they moved yeah, to California. Middle school. Middle, yeah. Um, his parents got divorced. Well, his parents got divorced, and then his mother remarried, and then she got divorced from that guy, and then they moved to California. Because and you know, and because his mom had allergies, and she remarried her allergy doctor. Yeah, like he, quote unquote allergies. Yeah, it's, like it sounded like his mom was mentally ill, and like later in life, she definitely was. 
and was kind of using this like allergy thing as proof that there were things wrong with her. Like at one point she checks herself and his brother into the allergy hospital uh, is what they actually called it, where they went on elimination diets and like lived there for weeks and found out that they could only eat fancy expensive foods or something. Yeah, like they could only eat like blueberries and like caribou meat. Yeah, strange. Yeah. But, uh, so when when he was a kid in Ohio, he'd acted in some local plays, and then when they moved to L.A., or they weren't actually in L.A., where they were in Malibu when they were kids? Yeah. But the L.A. area. Yeah. Southern California. Yeah, Southern California. There were, you know, he did live next door to Martin, or in the same neighborhood, at least, as Martin Sheen. He was friends with Emilio Estevez, and, uh, who else? Well, Charlie Sean Sheen. Penn. Yeah, Sean Penn. And they all kind of like went to school together. And they all started auditioning for movies and TVs TV shows together. And he got cast in some show I'd never heard of before, like a family sitcom that only lasted like one season. Well, it was a different kind of family. Yes. A new kind of family. New kind of family, yeah. Which sounded kind of like a Brady Bunch-ish thing. Yeah, um, it sounded like, and I think he actually said it sounded like Kate and Allie, but oh yeah, older. Yeah, so he's on the show for a brief period of time, and like, it's like he thinks it's going to be his first big break, but really the show gets canceled after one season, and you know he has to struggle to try and find work after that, and he still wants to be an actor, but it's so disheartening because. You know, it's so hard to get roles and no one else in California really understands him because he's like himself and like kind of nerdy and like loves the thing he thinks he loves. But everyone in California is so cool and he's just too homespun to yeah. really fit in. It's a, it's weird. And it he is talk, really like, weird. He's kind of like, well, everyone else, they want to be famous, but I just love acting and like, I don't care if I'm famous. And he's unsettled because... He starts getting fan mail from the show that's just from teenage girls who are like, you're so cute. And he doesn't like that. He wants to be respected as an actor. And when he's not getting fan mail from girls, he's getting it from uh, male prisoners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, yeah. He was. That was a choice that he made to include briefly with no further... <laughs> Right. It, it was a paragraph, and then he just went on. And then moved on. Right. <laughs> and we'll do that, too. We'll move on. And also, yeah. there's a lot in here. Okay, there's two things that are that are very heavily mentioned during his early years. And one of those is the power of celebrity and how celebrities have a real responsibility to, like, respect their fans and be kind to their fans. And, well, when he was in Ohio, actually, he met Liza Minnelli just because she was traveling through town and he went to her hotel and just, like, got the room number and visited her. And she was very kind and gracious to him. And so he talks about how, like, true celebrities are very gracious to their fans always. And I was like, yeah, Roblo, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Which he, he juxtaposes with meeting the guy from, what was it, Kolchak Nightstalker? Yeah. Um, and how he waited online for a long time to meet him. And they cut the line off before him, but he had brought a little gift and he gave it to the line minder. And then as he was leaving, he saw Kolchak throw his gift in the garbage. 
and it no, really it wasn't stuck even with Kolchak. Him. It was the aide. Like the, it never even yeah. made it to the guy. Yeah, and it stuck with him in his heart that you know he was so easily blown off. And I think if he had had the internet, he would have started Kolchakcan'tread.com. Like, that's how <laughs> he effective he was. Would have. <laughs> But he didn't have the internet, so he just had to include it as an anecdote in his memoir instead. So that's that's a heavy theme. And then also uh, talking about how, well, now there's so many TVs and movie shows with child actors, but then there weren't. Then if you were a child actor, it was just garbage. Everything was for adults and things are garbage for children. Actors. Which, in a way, does make sense because there are... a fajillion more television shows and movies now than there were right then. totally yeah i don't think he's but, like wrong about that but he really was driving but he's home. real he, bitter about he it he comes across as like real spiteful toward the disney channel yes <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so he he uh goes through high school and he has like a couple other small roles but nothing huge and then he's just about decided that he's gonna quit acting and go to college instead when he gets a call to ask him to audition for the movie of the outsiders uh so he decides like what the hell like i'm gonna do it because it sounds like a role of a lifetime and francis ford coppola is directing yes and so he knew about Francis Ford Coppola, well, because he's a serious actor and he loves film, but also because uh, Martin Sheen, his neighbor, was in Apocalypse Now, so he'd h- heard stories from, from Martin. Or, like, not even heard stories because Martin was so fucked up by it that he wouldn't talk about it. Well, yeah. Heard stories and, from the kids. more. Yeah. And then, like, he gave him, like, all this weird advice right before he left when he found out he had been cast but before he found out he had been cast he did this like epically long audition process with every other young actor in LA who were all his friends and it was kind of like the Hunger Games but nobody (laughs) died but it was so intense (laughs) young white male actors in 1989 in LA yep yeah like everybody and then okay Maybe this is uncouth for a teen librarian to admit, but I've never read or seen The Outsiders. Like, oh, it's so good. Okay, I know, but I'm busy right. reading this shit, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've never seen the movie. So I was like really on this journey with him where he talks about like rehearsing for this big scene and how hard he worked on it. And I didn't know that that scene's not in the movie. So I was just like shocked. When he... <laughs> I was shocked as Rob Lowe when he revealed that that scene had been cut. <laughs> It was heartbreaking at the end. He had worked so hard. He worked so he hard. Friends with Patrick Swayze and Tom Cruise, <laughs> and then they, yeah, everyone else gets the glory. <laughs> Not Rob Lowe. <laughs> Weirdly, though, the- I, I was right there with him because Soda Pop was my favorite in the book, and I was disappointed that a lot of his stuff was not in the movie. So I, I related to Rob Lowe in that moment. <sighs> He worked so hard. I wonder if there's um, on the DVD if you can see the deleted scenes or if they're not. Well, I I think I read it was either in here or somewhere else that there's actually a cut, uh, The Outsiders, the novel version, where they did recut it to be closer to the novel. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll maybe I'll check that out one of these days. So there, I'll, I would say a good chunk of this book is about the outsiders, and I was really interested in that, even though I hadn't 
seen the movie or read the book, but they just talk about how they all had to go to Oklahoma and, like, live in these dorms, and Francis Ford Coppola was, like, trying to set up a whole little society there where the Soches got better rooms than the Greasers and this whole, and they had to go, like, do overnight trips to visit former Greasers in Bananas. <laughs> I loved it. And the former Greasers were, like, now middle-aged. Yeah, and they were wonderful, just like... <laughs> wholesome people. Yeah, and I loved, I loved every story about Baby Tom Cruise because Baby Tom yes. Cruise sounds like exactly like how I imagine Baby Tom Cruise would be. <laughs> just one hundred percent. I was like, yeah, that's how you get to modern day Tom Cruise. You start out like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he does, he does Outsiders, and he's really disappointed when he sees it because his role's mostly been cut and. But at the same time, it ends up being, like, phenomenally successful, and every actor in it becomes super famous. So, you know, it ends up being a good thing anyway. So he... But in the the intermittent time between the end of the movie and when it gets released, it's, like, years. So yeah. he does a whole other movies in between. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, some of these are, like, things I never heard of. And some of them, what else did he do in this time? Like, a lot of... Well, he tried to, uh... Well, they approached him for Dune. Oh, yeah, that part was in there. (laughs) Uh, and they wanted his commitment for three movies. He had only read the first two books. So he was wondering what happens in the third. uh, Because if he's going to make this commitment to him, he kind of needs to know. And in the third book, he becomes a sandworm. Yes. So... (laughs) He, he he didn't he didn't sign up for that one. Yeah. And as you know, the rest of the story is that Dune never got made and it was like a whole train wreck situation. So he was like lucky to have escaped it. But at the time yes. it seemed like maybe it was a good thing cuz the book was real popular. And then there was a class of vile concoction. <laughs> yeah, I never was... heard of that movie. Me either. Uh but apparently we're lucky that we've never right. heard of it. <laughs> he did a movie with uh, Jodie Foster that I can't remember the name of, except that it had New Hampshire in the name, oh, and he was New really Hampshire. excited about that. Yes. Hotel New Hampshire, based on the John Irving novel. Yeah, yeah, I was unfamiliar with that, but it was like a, a very well-respected movie, so he felt really good that he got to do it. Um, and he like auditioned for a whole bunch of other things. He auditioned for Footloose at one point, mm-hmm. and... And injured his knee in the auditions. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what else. It, it basically just, like, goes through his right. life. Well, then, and, like, then every... around this point, it starts getting into all the Brat Pack stuff and talking yeah. about, uh, say, Almost Fire and all those, all that other stuff. And he talks with a lot of fairly bitter detail about the article that coined the term Brat Pack and how he felt the journalists didn't respect their work and their friendship, and he felt really, like, belittled. But eventually he came to embrace the term Brat Pack because, you know, they they paved the way for all these kid actors now who don't know how good they have it, basically. Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, uh, gosh, what else? Well, okay, so then around this time is when he starts going into his alcoholism. Oh, yeah, and and his addiction, yeah. And when he starts having scandals to completely gloss over. (laughs) Uh, like, 
Well, he, okay. He never even mentions anything about the lawsuits with the nannies, which I guess are later than this. But that was something we'd put in our show notes. Because he does talk about the videotape sex scandal from 1989. And he talks about it for, like, two paragraphs. And he says how it was just like, oh, it totally made sense because video cameras were really new and I was just videotaping everything that interested me. (laughs) (laughs) And he he includes that Hugh Hefner was like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you're being validated by Hugh Hefner, like, maybe that's not ideal. I don't know. And he talks about also he was shocked to learn that the girls were underage because he got carded at the bar, so he assumed that they were carding everyone. Oh gosh, Roblo. <laughs> but he he eventually. Uh, oh, and at this time also he starts talking about uh, meeting the woman who would become his wife, but he's fucking it up because he's an alcoholic. So he goes to rehab and he gets clean and he marries her and they're. They're happy. And... Yeah, and now we're we're basically towards the end of the book, and he goes through, he goes through rehab, and it changes his life, and he marries her. But when he marries her, she's like, "We, you know, we, we either we're doing it or we're not doing it. Like none of this like ten year engagement crap." So he was like, "Okay, let's get married." And everyone thought that she was a gold digger, and you know, fuck them because they've been married for twenty years. And Okay, and they have two kids, and one of them is named John Owen, not hyphenated, just smushed together, because they couldn't decide if they were going to name him John or Owen, so they just named him John Owen. And I I disagree with that choice. I do as well. <laughs> he also, he talks about um, his political, political stuff that he's done, and um, he, like, campaigned for Dukakis... Yeah, he talks about how in the 90s his career was really stalled because uh, he had been drunk, and then he was sort of like a washed-up child actor, but nobody wanted him for serious things, so he just kind of did politics and was like a dad for a while. And uh, he started getting, like, Oh my god, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we forgot about Princess Stephanie. (laughs) Oh my god! I was was gonna pipe in at some point. (laughs) We missed a fairly important part. So, okay, this is all things that happened, like, I don't remember any of this, because I was pretty young when it happened, but I guess it was, like, pretty big celeb gossip at the time that he hooked up with Princess, what is she, Princess of Monaco? Yes. Yes. So he was in France for some other movie, they hooked up, they were, like, a hot celebrity couple, but how he got in with her was from, like, his security guy, who was named Glenn... Who seemed just like a really shady, not, I don't know, like mysterious, I guess. Like he seemed Like at to... one point, he Glenn needs to write down his phone number for Rob, so he takes a business card, writes his number on the back of it, gives it to Rob, and Rob notices that the business card is from the White House. Yeah, and he's like, oh, do you work for the White House? And he's like, not officially. And then, but, you know, I've done some business for them. And then he's sort of that way also with the French government and some other stuff. And he ha- he's, like, former military. Like, just, like, a very mysterious, cool figure. And then when, like, the very day that Rob goes back to L.A. for an audition or something, Glenn gets murdered and his murder has never been solved. <laughs> but he is, he is honored by the American and the French government. 
in ceremonies that really were hush-hush. Yeah. Like, I right. want a whole exactly. book about who the fuck is Glenn Robles' exactly. bodyguard. <laughs> and this, again, it's just they're sort of, like, casually mentioned in there, because Rob has 100 million crazy stories that he, he can't spend a whole lot of time on Glenn. He's got to move on to the next, like, ne- next rest of the story. <laughs> Oh, also, we did not, we failed to mention that this book opens in 1999 with, is that, yeah, with the death of yeah. JFK Jr. Uh, and then it, yeah, it, it really opens with, like, an extended anecdote about how JFK Jr. saw the pilot of the West Wing and thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever and fell in love with it and cried and wanted Rob Lowe to be because they had met each other several times over the course of their lives, being famous, important, handsome people. Mm -hmm. And he wanted Rob to be on the cover of his new magazine um, because of the West Wing. But all of his advisors said it was a terrible idea because the show was probably going to flop because everybody, you know, nobody was smart enough to like it. And but he insisted. And then his insisting that Rob be on the cover was the last thing he did before he died. Also, we'll link to I looked up the cover image of this magazine and it. I've said the word crazy so many times, but it's crazy. He's, like, staring dead on at the camera, and it's just his face and his hands, and he's clutching a pearl necklace, and it seems like he's topless. Like, you can't really... All you can see are, like, shoulders that seem to be bare. And this pearl necklace, like, a really intense gaze. And that is, like, JFK Jr.'s last stand, was this magazine cover. (laughs) Um, so that, that's how the book opened, but back after Princess Stephanie and Glenn, after he gets married, literally the day of his wedding, he gets called about Wayne's World and, you know, obviously ends up booking that and it makes a bazillion, fulfillion dollars and he's relevant again and is cast in some things, some theater shit in the West End because the directors liked him in Wayne's World and, uh, you know, his, his, uh, career starts to take an uptick. Uh, he does one of my personal favorite movies at this point, the miniseries of Stephen King's The Stand, which is where I first came across him watching that as a kid. Oh, I'm glad I forgot. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. I actually, that is a really good miniseries. Probably you shouldn't watch it, though. But it's really good. But it's it's a little scary. Thanks for looking out for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just watch The West Wing some more. (laughs) It it was post-apocalyptic before post-apocalyptic was cool. Yeah, so then the kind of mid-90s, it's mostly a a blur until West Wing. Yeah. And this I thought was very interesting because, you know, for years I just had kind of heard rumors or like read articles that... You know, Rob Lowe quit the West Wing in a huff because he wasn't getting enough money and whatever, whatever. And basically, I I feel like everybody, and this is not just because he is my enemy, but I feel like most media about Rob Lowe leaving the West Wing is sort of, like, unfavorable towards Rob Lowe. I, I mean, I think maybe because I read so much about it, like, I did hear 
I feel like it was reported that he left in a huff because of money, but I feel like, at least to me and like some of the West Wing mailing lists I was on, it was pretty clear that the producers were the ones kind of screwing him over because he was hired as a lead, but then it became an ensemble show. Mm-hmm. And so he was making more money than the ensemble, but less money than Martin Sheen. So they like never included him... He, he was in, like, a weird place precariously within the cast. That was not initially what he was expected to be, because initially the show was going to be essentially, like, a, a buddy drama, drama about Josh and Sam, and then kind of expanded into an ensemble show. So he had, like, different expectations of what it... Anyway, so, yeah, that that's... Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so this is obviously Rob Lowe's side of it. And he talks about things like the whole cast was invited to be on the cover of uh, what was a TV guide, I think, but they just didn't tell Rob about it. And this happened with like multiple magazine covers and multiple photo shoots. Like just nobody would tell Rob Lowe about it except for, <laughs> except for John Spencer, because he felt too guilty. He was just like, I just want you to know that like we're secretly doing this, <laughs> but you're still not allowed to come by, <laughs> which I... Which Roblo presented very favorably, but it it also seems like kind of a mean girl move from John Spencer. <laughs> like I just want you to know that you can't sit with us by <laughs> So Yeah, there's a there's a lot about West Wing that I enjoyed reading. Yes. And it you know, it seemed like he really he was very diplomatic about it and he was very he named by name everybody that he liked. And he, you know, he liked Aaron Sorkin. He did mention in here that he worked with Aaron Sorkin again at the West End production of A Few Good Men, which is true. I saw that. He left out a few important details about that, though. He, he did. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you know, because Roblo has written two books, so maybe it's in his next one. <laughs> okay. But, so he talks about West Wing and leaving that, and he makes it all sound pretty reasonable. That's pretty much the end, right? Like, it's pretty much West Wing and then, like, a brief chapter of, like, I'm so hashtag blessed to have... Oh, he talks, like, a little bit about, like, I'm so hashtag blessed to have Parks and Rec and, like, whatever, whatever, and my career's great and my life's great, everything's great, bye. Yeah. Oh, and he talks about going to the White House and meeting President Clinton. And his kid gives him a gift. And it's so cute. (laughs) It is pretty cute. (laughs) He Like, I, I have to say, like, he is very diplomatic. Like, even though clearly there's some shit there with the West Wing stuff. Like, he says, like, 55 times, like, I'm so lucky to have this part. It was the part of a lifetime. Like, I'm so happy I got to do it. Like, it was such a great role. He, I mean, he doesn't really shit on, I mean, I guess because it's a memoir and you can only, you know, mostly he shits on dead people, I feel like. Right. And, like, you can (laughs) tell, yeah, he's leaving out, I guess the producers probably, like, I was trying to get up before I got derailed. He never names by name whoever he doesn't like. He just, like, very conscious, like, he never talks about, um, I kind of bet that Roblo and Bradley Whitford had a thing, like, an en- an enemy thing, because he never mentions that guy. And everyone else, he's like, oh, and, like, Dooley Hill was great, and John Spencer was great, and everyone was great. <laughs> but it's, like, kind of conspicuous. So I'm starting that rumor now. It's actually probably already on the internet, but, like, yeah. I haven't. That's my thing. And then I guess the producers of the show, probably. Because his beef's clearly not with Aaron Sorkin. 
or John Spencer or Martin. Yeah, Spencer. and he he talks a bunch of times about how like his agent would call the producers and make a deal, and the producers would be like, "Well, we know we told you that we made this deal with you, but actually we're rescinding it." Or you know, we know we told you we could offer you this much money, but actually we can't, and shit like that. Right. Very but, interesting. Yeah. And that's that's really basically the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this book, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, I enjoy celebrity gossip, as we've mentioned in other books, like when we read the Courtney Robertson book. Uh, you know, I, I like a celebrity gossip, even when it's a celebrity that I don't care about at all. And when this did involve things like the West Wing that I really did like, I was like, this is cool. I like it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it is... I mentioned before it's competently written. I'm not going to put it on the level of something like Just Kids by Patti Smith, where it's like, oh, you've got cool gossip, and this is, like, gorgeously written. This is a great prose memoir. This is, like, it's fine. Yeah, it was not... When I picked it up, I was not, like, expecting something substantial, and I got exactly what I expected. Like, it was a quick read. It was interesting. It had a lot of stuff that was interesting to me personally, it was very clearly written in a style to keep your attention and make you go like, oh my God, like that was Cary Grant, um, which I'm, I'm not above. Like, <laughs> Cary Grant gave him soap on a rope. I, that's... <laughs> and I thought it was a great idea to really start the book at that JFK, even though it was a bummer, just to hit on west wing right off the bat because you know that half of the people that more than half the people that pick up the book are doing it because of the west wing right yeah i think that kind of brought his career back into people of like our age bracket and then i think there's people older than us or who have different tastes than us or whatever who like him for this previous generation of things but west wing i would say right now is what brought a lot of people to the rob Lowe table yes and then Parks and Rec kept them there. Yep. And people keep telling me the grinder is good, but I'm not watching it. Same. I have too many shows as it is. Exactly. If it comes to Netflix, maybe I'll watch it at that point. Yeah. I watched the pilot of You, Me, and the Apocalypse, and it was really good. Is he in that? And then my DVR. Yeah. What? And then my DVR didn't record episodes two and three. Mm. So now I need to find those somewhere. Yeah. But it was really good. Hmm. Well, Noted. Um, I guess let's move into some dramatic readings and give you all a taste of this grade A celebrity gossip. So our first dramatic reading, this is when he was a teen in Southern California, and Kate will read Rob Lowe, and Steve will be Martin Sheen, and I will be the unnamed friend, who may or may not be Emilio Estevez. (laughs) At school, we all began to buzz about Halloween, which was fast approaching and was a big deal on Point Doom. It was a perfect excuse for the already wild and lawless bands of kids to run amok, dousing tires with gasoline and rolling them down the streets into crowds of unsuspecting children, filling gas tanks with sugar and egging people in the face at point-blank range. Shaving cream was used as mace. It was Christmas morning for bullies. And, truth be told, I was not immune to the thrill of low-grade anarchy myself. I also would be appropriately armed for my own defense if needed. Stocked with a dozen eggs and a full canister of Barbasol, I met up with a group of kids to make our rounds. It was a perfect, dry, breezy, moonless night. None of us wore costumes. 
that was for kids, not young men on a mission. If we felt like trick-or-treating, we might pull out a 20-cent mask if needed. My first stop was the Sheen's house. Knocking on the door, I hoped I might get a glimpse of the by-now legendary Martin Sheen, who recently returned from his two-year odyssey of making Apocalypse Now. There were rumors that the movie had almost killed him, and that he might have gone insane while shooting it in the fetid jungle of the Philippines. Although I'd spent some time with Charlie and Emilio making our amateur movies, they never discussed their father. I was even more curious about him when I learned that he, too, had begun his acting career in his hometown of Dayton, Ohio. My friends and I waited at the door, but no one answered. So we moved on to other homes and an egg-throwing scrimmage or two. As we plotted our next move, a figure jumped out of a bush, scaring us to death. What you boys doing? Demanded a man dressed from head to toe in army fatigues and wielding a gigantic baseball bat. Nothing, just trick-or-treating, we answered. The man leaned in to have a closer look. In the blackness, it appeared that he might have had war paint on his face, but it was hard to tell. This is my neighborhood. I am on patrol tonight. There will be no monkey business on my watch. Do you understand? He looked at my friends, who said nothing. Do you understand? He said again, this time looking at me. Yes, sir, I answered knowing that it was probably a good idea to use sir when confronted in the dark by a bat-swinging, army-uniformed dude with security on his mind. Good. He said, and he smashed his bat on the pavement, making us jump. I'll be watching. And with that, he turned and disappeared into the darkness. When the coast was clear, one of my friends exhaled and chuckled. Hey, Lo, you said you wanted to meet Martin Sheen? Well, now you have. By the way, I realized when I, after I introduced this, that I ruined his surprise reveal by saying Steve was Martin Sheen. But, <laughs> what but that's very emblematic of what this book is like. Like, who was that man jumping out of the bushes? Oh, it was Martin Sheen. Like, every chapter is that. <laughs> <laughs> and our next dramatic reading takes place... In New York, during a phase of casting auditions for The Outsiders, and Steve will be Rob Lowe, and I will be Baby Tom Cruise, and Kate will be a few miscellaneous people who pop up in this anecdote. It's a night flight with lots of empty seats, so it feels like we own the plane. By the time we land, we are connected like a less dangerous teenage show business version of The Dirty Dozen. We are all thrown together by fate, required to work together to achieve a goal that will be a highlight of our lives. Along the way, any one of us could fall. You don't want it to be you, but you don't want it to be your new brother either. There is also a group waiting to knock us out entirely, the New York actors. Their reputations precede them, tough, intense, serious, hard cases. We make our plans to battle them, to come out of this together, leaving the others in the dust. We are the L.A. Greasers. After surviving the three-day, 30-hour battle at Zotrope Studios, we feel like Hollywood's finest. We check into the Plaza Hotel. I am taken aback at the luxury and spectacle of the lobby. Last time I was in New York, Dad and I stayed at the Sheraton. The front desk tells us we will be sharing rooms. In a flash, Cruz is on the phone to his agent, Paula Wagner. Paula, they are making us share, he says. He is certain that this is not right and wants it fixed ASAP. The rest of us are staggering around like happy goofs, but this guy's already showing traits that will make him famous. 
He zeroed in like a laser. All business and very intense. Okay, then. Thank you very much. He says like a 50-year-old businessman getting off the phone with his stockbroker. Paula says it's fine. After sorting out our rooms, we decide to pile into a cab and check out the sights. 42nd Street. Someone says. The cabbie's eyes widen as he turns to look at the group squeezed into his back seat. A 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, and three adults weighing in at around 19 years old. You boys sure you want to go down there? Ain't nothing but women in trouble to be found there. Yes, we're sure. We howl and laugh, banging on the plexiglass divider like animals. We are all seriously dragging the next morning as we arrive at Zotrope East. Any effects of our long night are mitigated by the growing tension of the East Coast versus the West Coast acting brawl that is moments away. Some real sharks and jets stuff, you guys. <laughs> and our last dramatic reading is... You know what? We'll, we'll let it speak for itself. <laughs> Andy Warhol wore a wig, right? The great man has passed, and there is no longer need for discretion on this count, account, correct? Whether he did or didn't, to my unsophisticated eye at the time, the hair, the 50s beat-knit glasses, the black uniform, and the skin-like tracing paper, they added up to an unforgettable impression. Surely there isn't anyone reading this who can't picture him clearly in their mind's eye, the rare art world superstar who himself would have a lasting personal image. I first meet Warhol in an unadorned, nondescript warehouse. In the 80s, if it didn't happen in a crappy war warehouse, it wasn't cool. Andy has a camera team recording as he interviews me for his underground cable access TV show, which is a mixture of Manhattan celebrity avant-garde art and unapologetic commercialism that only Warhol could create. Think Wayne's World for people who smoke clove cigarettes. I am not a student of the contemporary art scene, but I am curious to see what a noted cultural genius like Andy Warhol will want to talk about. What's it like to be famous? Andy asks. His voice is actually even more striking than his look, if that's possible. An odd mix of a sly, sing-song whine and a sexed-up, ironic liberace. All of his follow-up questions are in the same vein. Queries on celebrity, the definition of beauty, and the world of movie stars, a term he loved. I do my best to sound like I know what I'm talking about, and soon it's over. Okay, and now we're skipping over a bit where Roblo and... Uh, Andy Warhol and Cornelia Guest, a local heiress, have gone to see a Diana Ross concert, and so this is after the concert, and it's raining. We take shelter at Cafe Central, just off Central Park on the Upper West Side. Known as the launching point for any legit night on the town, at this midday hour it is deserted, and we take a bar at the window to watch the scene outside. The bar is famous for its kamikaze, mixed until recently by Bruce Willis, who has just left his position running the best bar in Manhattan to try his hand at acting. Turns out he is pretty good at that as well. Let's play a game, suggests Andy with little boy enthusiasm. He clears the flatware and the paper tablecloth and grabs a bunch of crayons at the center of the table. I want everyone to draw their best version of a pussy. Don't let anyone look at it until we are all finished. 
If nothing else, I feel this exercise will provide a good source of conversation with Cornelia, who I've been trying to chat up without gaining much traction. She grabs a crayon and starts drawing furiously, as does Andy. I cover my part of the tablecloth so they can't watch and begin my artwork. I make a calculated call to go hyper-realistic. I begin to work on an almost gynecological rendition of a vagina, a subject I am having more and more experience with these days. The three of us work in concentrated silence. Soon we are all done. Okay, show yours, Cornelia, orders Andy, and she presents a fairly demure-looking pussy of the Patrick Nagel school. I don't know what that means. I go next, unveiling my hypergyno masterwork. With a flourish and a cackle, Andy Warhol reveals his sketch. It's a rudimentary stick figure version of a cat. Now that's a pussy. Later, we all sign our names below our work at Andy's instruction, because... That's what artists do. Youthful pride and a desire to seem cool prevented me from taking Andy's drawing as we left. This glamorous world was new to me, and I didn't want anyone to know how unsure I felt in it. Only now do I see how often this held me back, kept me from making real connections, and, more specifically, a signed original Warhol. Years later, after Andy's death, the Warhol Diaries was published. I was happy to see that our day together had made its way into his amazing journal of an extraordinary life. So that, that, I think, is pretty representative of the kinds of wild stories in this book. And now we will move on and play some Would You Rather. I'll ask, would you rather be ignored by Rob Lowe at Stage Door or be intimidated by Martin Sheen at Halloween? Oh, that rhymes. Um, I think I'm going to pick be ignored at stage door by Rob Lowe, which I know is an indignity that you actually had to live through. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but if somebody came at me in the dark with a baseball bat and started trying to intimidate me, I would probably cry and have a nervous breakdown. So, yeah. I'm surprised. I thought that you would pick the Martin Sheen at Halloween just because that is a combination of two things that you like. I mean, it is, but I, I don't really like being intimidated by strangers, which she would be. I mean, if it was just like regular Martin Sheen now, I'd be like, yeah, like, let's hang out. You're a cute old man holding a baseball bat. But... <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I Yeah, I would also choose Stage Door because I did live through that. And honestly, it served me pretty well. I've gotten a lot more enjoyment, honestly, probably out of being rivals with Rob Lowe than I would have if he would have just signed my program. <laughs> I agree. I wouldn't give up that experience for anything. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. All right. Would you rather have had Sam Seaborn on all seven seasons of The West Wing, or have Rob Lowe on Parks and Recreation? Straight up, I'd rather have Rob Lowe on Parks and Recreation for two reasons. One, that I love him on Parks and Recreation, and he's super great, and I love Chris Traeger, and I love Chris and Anne, and I love Chris and Ben's friendship. And the other reason being that I love Josh Molina on The West Wing. I know I'm one of, like, five people in the <laughs> world who feel this way, but I love Will Bailey. I think Josh Molina did a great job despite the fact that he had some, you know, shitty circumstances with Aaron Sorkin leaving immediately after he was hired and none of the other writers knowing what to do with him for three years. 
So, yeah. Ideally, I think I'd want both. You can't. Oh. Or. Oh, but it would have been such a great crossover <laughs> if oh, Sam would have run for president and then he <laughs> would have gotten Parks and Recreation in Little Indiana as a pet project and met Leslie Nope. Okay, but, you're right. That would be a good crossover. Yeah. Uh, but I'd have to choose Rob Lowe on Parks and Recreation. Um. Okay, well, I'm going to be on my now. I'm going to keep him on the West Wing. I did like Josh and Melina's character of Will, but I loved Sam. I would have kept him around even even during those seasons when the writing got a little shaky. I would have liked to have him around. And I mean, I like Chris on Chris Traeger and Parks and Rec, but Parks and Rec has so many great characters. They would have been fine without him, I think. But of course, that is not the reality that we have. All right, last up, would you rather bone Melissa Gilbert, which we did not even talk about how there is a lot in here about his on and, on and off relationship with Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie and other things uh, but that happened. Uh, her or Princess Stephanie of Monaco? I think I'd have to choose Princess Stephanie just because that was so bonkers. <laughs> like, it was so weird. And you could meet Glenn, the security guy. Exactly. Like, I, I think that I have to go with that. I think that that is a more ridiculous experience and a better dinner party anecdote, which is how, I guess I didn't say that. I look at this book as Rob Lowe's Bible of dinner party anecdotes. Yes, stories he only tells his friends. Exactly. And anyone who wrote this book. When there's like a, a, a sort of protracted, awkward silence before it could get too awkward, you know, he just slips in with like, did I ever tell you about the time that Cary Grant gave me soap on a rope? <laughs> and I'm a little stuck on that one. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but don't let that fool you into thinking that that's the only anecdote in here because it's not. No, it's, it's not. just the one I'm obsessed with. <laughs> 100% agree that you have to go with Princess Stephanie on that. I mean, I guess because she's a princess and all. Exactly. It does like, seem, that one seems more stressful, though. Like, with, you know, more paparazzi and more, like, whatever. Whereas, I mean, I'm not saying it was totally low-key and chill with Melissa Gilbert, because they both were celebrities, but that seems a little more... I guess it well I, I guess depending on the so, context of the question, like if it's a long term thing, maybe I'd pick Melissa Gilbert. But if it's just sort of like a one time or like limited time thing, then I guess yeah, the princess. Well I'd princess. be in it to be a prince, so <laughs> Whatever okay, maybe I should have Googled this. Is what happened to Princess Stephanie? Is she like a queen now or what? No, she's like know. twelfth in line for the Monaco throne. Um but she uh she just did some nice charity work where she rescued some elephants or something. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like elephants for them. All right. Well, that's that's how we play Would You Rather. And we will move on now to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest books to read instead of or in addition to this. And I'll, I'll straight up say, if, if you think you would be interested at all in Rob Lowe's life, this is, check it out. This is what got all the celebrity gossip that you want. And I will especially recommend the audiobook because he's pretty funny in it. Yeah, like I, I think it's perfectly fine. It's probably really enjoyable if you're into Rob Lowe or any of the time periods in Hollywood history. 
that he was famous during. You know, it was a quick read. It was harmless, unlike some books that we read. (laughs) Well, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll say again. I think Just Kids by Patti Smith is the best celebrity memoir I've read, just in terms of it's it's so well-written. And she does have a lot of, I would say, probably not quite as many as Rob Lowe, but she does have a lot of interesting stories about, like, Robert Maplethorpe and other, uh, what do I want to say? I'll just say celebrities, but that's not really what I mean. It's good. Good. That's my rec. Just Kids by Patti Smith. And she has another book that came out recently called M Train that I haven't read yet, but it's probably also good. I had a couple ideas, but Steve wrote them down before I could write them down, so I'll let him talk about them before I jump in with a couple more. Sweet. So, uh, my first recommendation was Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, because who doesn't love Tina Fey? And not only does she have a lot, quite a few anecdotes like Rob's, it's less celebrity focused and more about how she got to be where she is today, some of the challenges that she faced, and it's just all around really interesting, and I really like that book. Uh, related to that, if you like all this genre of celebrity autobiography, uh, Yes, Please! By Amy Poehler was also a very good read. Uh, didn't enjoy that as much as Bossy Pants, but it is still an excellent uh, airplane <laughs> ride read. Yeah, and we've talked, well, we definitely talked about Yes, Please before. I liked both of those books also. Yes. So my the only other one that I had that was in the same vein, I don't read a lot of celebrity memoirs. So I've read both of those two, and I've read Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me by Mindy Kaling, Mm -hmm. which I also liked. And, you know, Watch the West Wing. That's that's good. The West Wing's real good if you've never watched it. It's on Netflix now. Parks and Recreation is literally one of the best sitcoms I have ever seen. Literally. I have The Outsiders down, possibly just as reader's advisory to myself. I guess I should read that. And if anyone else hasn't read it, you really should. Um, Like, I I am not a person who has read a lot of the quote-unquote classics. A lot of stuff that we were assigned to read in school really bored me, and I kind of had to struggle through it, despite the fact that I, especially when I was younger, am a voracious reader and very interested in books. But Outsiders is a book that I loved when I read it and read it multiple times, even after school was over and I loved the movie and like, it makes me cry still every time I read it. (laughs) Uh, I'll throw in one more celebrity memoir that I read recently, which is big Frida's memoir. God save the queen diva. It's not as well-written as this. And again, I'm not holding this up as a high bar of being well-written, but I, I think when you think of celebrity memoir, you think of something that's probably written at about the level of Big Frida's, where it's just like, here's anecdotes just sort of piled out. And, like, I think literally it was just Big Frida talked into a recorder for a while and then somebody transcribed it. Like, it has that feel. Um, It's not polished, per se, but if you like Big Frida, you will like it. And if you don't, then don't read it. But it's just, like, very conversational chatty hanging out with big frida and i enjoyed that 
All right. Well, we'll have these and some other stuff up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, on the Reader's Advisory tab for this episode. So check that out if you want to see that. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing, where we'll suggest candy to go along with this book. So my candy pairing is... Uh, one of those weirdly flavored lint truffles, like not the milk chocolate or the dark chocolate or the white chocolate that you get at like the checkout at the bookstore, but like lime or raspberry or whatever, which looks weird. And it's like kind of pretentiously trying to be simultaneously fancy and down to earth. But at the same time, it's inexplicably satisfying and uh, you find yourself enjoying it. I'll go with the Charms Blow Pop. Uh, That was the gift that Rob, as a kid, was going to give to the actor. Uh, He was standing in line for his autograph, and it got shut down early. Gave it to an aide, uh, and he saw the aide throw it in the trash, thereby setting into... Sorry. Um... (laughs) You've got a lot of feelings about this Blow Pop, Steve. (laughs) I know. It... It just makes me... Well, uh, I'll I'll say mine if you want to gather your thoughts. Yes. Um, So anybody who follows me on Twitter knows I was traveling while I was reading this book. And I got stuck at the airport for a while. And I bought some really expensive candy (laughs) that I was lied to about the price of. And then it rang up as way more. And I was kind of mad about it. But there was a line and I wanted candy and... Sometimes when you're stuck at the airport, you just spend, like, stupid amounts of money on food. So I was like, fine, I'll pay $7 for this candy. And I bought the candy, and I carried it around for a while, and I, like, tweeted a picture of it. And I kept tweeting about how I hoped that the candy tasted as good as $7 would imply. And then I finally ate the candy, and it was really good. And I was sort of, like, disappointed almost that it was, because it would have been funnier if it was really bad. But that's... (laughs) That's this book. It's expensive airport candy that I I read it, I enjoyed it, but I kind of wish I hadn't, just because he is my nemesis. And I'll go with the Charms Blow Pop. That was the gift that he was going, that Rob was going to give to the actor from Kojak, and it got trashed. So, similar to our experience at the stage door, Renata. <laughs> oh no, we're the Blow Pop. I know. (laughs) And I'm going to interject here that I incorrectly earlier identified the actor as being from Kolchak Night Stalker, which is a different show. Kojak is a a, like a crime show, um, not the show that I was referring to, but they have similar names. So whatever. Oh, I thought I thought he was talking about Crycheck from (laughs) X-Files. But he wasn't. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll, we'll move on to our favorite game, <laughs> The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Steve will choose which person would make the book uh, the most better, or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. I'll go first. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book... The Rock would be a recurring guest star on The West Wing. And that's it. That's that's the end. The Rock would be a recurring guest star on The West Wing. Would he play himself on The West Wing? 
he would play a version of himself who is invested in, you know, a particular political cause. Perhaps his first appearance would be during a big block of cheese day episode. Mm -hmm. But uh, the whole, you know, staff in the West Wing is so won over by his charm and his dedication to this cause that they decide to take it on themselves. So he comes back multiple times as they work on his project. Do you think he would also be on the episode of Sesame Street with CJ and Big Bird? Yes, definitely. Great. Okay, that's... Also, probably, um, during the time they were working on his project, they would also be <laughs> be working on the Wolves Only Roadway. <laughs> and it would turn... <laughs> it would turn into a crossover with Teen Wolves. <laughs> Great. And he would, of course, fall for the Teen Wolves mentor, art teacher, Logan. Oh, great. I don't even want to say mine. I'm already sold on this. This deep cut that is specifically aimed at inside jokes that only you and I have. Great job. It's true. Great job. But just for, just for formality, I'll say what Wolverine would do. Um... Wolverine, I don't think he would associate with Rob Lowe at all, but I do think that he would have been friends or, you know, like, a reluctant mentor, anyway, of the teenage girl who was in Rob Lowe's sex tape, and so when that ended up getting leaked to the press, he he would be very upset, and he would go punch Rob Lowe in the face, and also take all of Rob's liquor collection on his way out, just because he wanted it. But that would sort of prompt Rob to consider his life and his choices. And I think ultimately cause him to enter rehab a few years earlier than he otherwise did in actual real life. And I think also perhaps that incident would teach him some manners that might have prevented him from whatever sexual harassment may or may not have occurred towards some nannies in his employ. Uh, perhaps it would have even corrected his manners so much that he would never dream of blowing off some American college students at the stage door of A Few Good Men, perhaps. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you added some detail at the end. I was I was holding some in reserve. Yeah, you added some in the end there that, that put you over the top, Renata. <laughs> I was going to say, Kate had me at Big Block of Cheese Day. <laughs> But then you changed you changed the story. We could have not been blown off by Roblo at the stage door. I put ourselves back in the narrative. You did. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? In that reality where he went to rehab a little bit earlier, maybe uh still there's nothing that precludes the rock also from being on the West Wing in that universe. It's true. It could, it could happen. So, as as usual, there's no losers in the rock, paper, snicked. Except Never. for probably the girl in Rob Lowe's sex tape. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll move on to the moral of the story. <laughs> and for me, I think that the moral of the story is it's nice to be really, really ridiculously good looking. I would say my moral of the story is that famous people interact with a lot of other famous people, which ensures that they have an endless supply of anecdotes to fill awkward silences at dinner parties. 
And I'll borrow a line from Rob himself. Most stars are great looking on the outside, but tough as shit on the inside. <laughs> oh, Rob. So modest. All right, we'll move on now to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte gets to give his opinion on the book. Oh. Yeah, Duarte, you're right. That that part where Andy Warhol drew a picture of a cat, that probably was the best part of the whole book. It probably yeah. should have just had a lot more about Andy Warhol's cat drawing. Yeah, you made some good arguments there. You know, this is one of those books with pictures in the middle, so, you know, they could have put that in there. Well, he left it on the table. That probably is the biggest mistake of Roblo's life, really. An artistic recreation. That's true. All right. Well, thank you, Duarte, for joining us. And now, do any humans have closing thoughts about this book? Oh, uh, this book was fine. <laughs> I enjoyed it. An yeah. interesting quick read. Yep. Great to read on a plane while you're eating expensive airport candy, for sure. Yep. All right. Well, you can find us on the internet at worstbestsellers.com. You can follow us as a podcast on Twitter with uh, at worstbestseller with no S. Because, you know, Rob Lowe took the S because he was really confused about what letters are, how they work. <laughs> he didn't realize what he was doing. So we don't have one. But we are also on Facebook at The Worst Bestsellers Spelled Normally. We've got a Goodreads group now, which is also normal, correct spelling of The Worst Bestsellers. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Roblo Can't Read. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can visit RobloCan'tRead.com for the shocking truth about Roblo. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you do, please rate and review us. Uh, when you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit in the charts and it makes it easier for new people to find us so that they can find out the stunning truth about Rob Lowe's ability to read. And uh, if you don't do it, unfortunately, we're going to have to have the man who reads and writes things for Rob Lowe come to your house and read you a sternly worded letter. <laughs> And that guy's really busy, so just do it so we don't have to bother him. He'll be so cranky. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much to Steve for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we hope that you'll listen in two weeks when we come back with a book written by Kate's nemesis, John Barrowman, along with his sister, Carol Barrowman. It's called Hollow Earth, and I have no idea what it's about. I'll find out in two weeks, I guess. Yes, and I'm not looking forward to it. (laughs) In the meantime, you could reflect on whether or not John Barrowman is the worst part of Arrow, because I think it's debatable. And let (laughs) us know your thoughts about all these things. (laughs) Uh, Okay, Uh, bye. Bye. This is the peak level of celebrity that I personally want, where, like, strangers at the gym tell me that they are telling people slander about Rob Lowe. <laughs>